we are in Matthew 11, so if you want to get your Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew 11, we're going to open that up, today we're going to see what God says, we're going to see what God's Word says, and uh, before I do, I'll just share with you one thing I love is movies, I really enjoy movies, I really enjoy watching them, and one of the things I like about movies, I don't have enough time to watch them to be honest, but, um, but one thing I do love about movies is those films where it just flips. It just, it just like this unexpected turn that you would not expect. So I'm going to make a few film references now. I hope you catch at least one of them, uh, hopefully. Uh, I've tried to make sure that all choices of film are, are involved a little bit. Uh, and so what is your, if you were to think through films, what is your favourite unexpected moment in a film? That moment that makes you go, no, no way. No, that can't, what? And you just rethink the film and you're like, when did that happen? What, that, oh, yeah, those moments. All right, think of where, what film is that for you? Uh, it might be one of these, it might not be. Um, so we got, uh, it might be the moment when we reel in six set. just to clarify, I'm about to spoil about 10 films. <laughs> They're not new, so you should have watched it earlier. Um, so... The Sixth Sense, when Bruce Willis, he's revealed at the end as being the ghost, that he's, he's actually died. And it's like, no way, no way. Um, or in the rom-coms, you've got Definitely Maybe up there. I've not personally seen it, but I've heard it's highly recommended. Um, but those moments in those rom-com films where it's like, will they? Or they will, but they won't, and they will. And, and then at the twist at the end is that they will. Um, it's not really a twist. <laughs> But, but it makes you feel like it's unexpected. Do you know what I mean? Um, what about Harry Potter when you discover that Snape all along was protecting Harry? Like that was Dumbledore gave him a job to, to do that. It might be that really deep film, Frozen, where <laughs> Prince, Prince Hans leans into Anna to give her true love's kiss to reveal that actually he is the bad guy in the film. Whoa, didn't see that coming. Um, and now let's go on to some decent films. Um, so, Usual Suspects, Kaiser Soze. They've been looking for this guy, Kaiser Soze, all the way through the film. And the turn at the end is that he's been among them the whole time and they never find him. It's like, whoa, lovely reveal. A personal favourite, really love Fight Club. It's a great film. I don't know if I'd recommend it. I watched it many years ago. But really good film, Twist at the End, where he reveals that Edward Norton and Brad Pitt are the same person the whole way through. Just, just genius. Just great. Anyway, that was, that was, thanks for indulging me in that, clearly. Um, so I love those unexpected moments in films where it just it turns. They're, they're clever because it makes you question everything that you have thought through all the way through the film. And we're currently in a series in Matthew. And in Matthew 11, we see in more detail how Jesus is more unexpected than anyone has realized. More unexpected than, than we can realize. More unexpected than the people of the day will have realized. And as we have seen in a lot of Matthew Jesus is not who people expect him and often want him to be. And so he, he isn't born 
the way that is expected, the Messiah to be born. He doesn't teach the way that the usual rabbis of the day, the teachers and preachers of the day would have taught. He doesn't behave how people want him to behave or expect him to behave. He doesn't associate with people that you expect him to associate with. He doesn't, he doesn't come and minister the way that they expected him to minister. So let's read. Read Matthew 11, and uh, then we'll look at this unexpected Jesus in a little bit more detail. We're going to go from verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, so he's just finished a teaching moment, now this is a ministry moment in, in, in the story. That's often how Matthew goes. It's like a teaching moment, then he does some ministry, then there's a teaching moment, and, and this, so this is a ministry moment. So after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As Jesus' disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. So John's disciples have gone. That answer has, has satisfied them. They've gone off, and now he's got a new group of people he's talking to. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. So he's talking about him. He's going to bat him out of him. How dare he question who I am? You know, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out and see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are kings in palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes. He's he's acknowledging who John is here. He's a prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He's fulfilling what's been said in Isaiah. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if You are willing to accept it. He is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? So he switched from talking about John. He's now talking to the crowd again about themselves. What can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to one another. We played the pipe and you didn't dance. We sang the dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, oh, he, is, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they uh, did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazine. Woe to you, Bethsaida. 
For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre. Ooh, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, that's Jesus' hometown. He's talking to imagine me just going out into to Bogner and saying this. All right? And you, Capernaum, you, Bognoregis, you will be lifted to the heavens. No, you, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that you were performed in, uh, in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, revealing who he is here. If anyone says... Oh, Jesus never said he was God. He very much does. This is very much Jesus saying he is God. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those... and to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal. And then hear the gentleness of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a long passage that we've just read, but I just felt it was helpful for us to frame the picture, to see the bigger picture of what we're looking at today, because Jesus is not who we expect him to be. So we're going to look at three ways in which Jesus is not who we expect him to be, uh, and and with a because. So Jesus is not who we expect him to be, um, uh, and and we're going to look at how that challenges us and shapes us and and should, should lead us in our lives. And so the passage however, does start with something unexpected. And I, and I alluded to it earlier. In verse 1 to 3, when you have John, um, his, his disciples come and he questions Jesus. John is in prison. He's about to be, uh, to be executed by Herod. And he's got some disciples to go to Jesus and say, just, just check in. Just, just want to clarify something here. Are you the one who is to come? Or... Or should we expect someone else? Like, are you definitely the guy? Are you definitely who we're talking about? And it's worth thinking, why? Why, why is John and his, getting his disciples to ask that question? Why is John asking that question? Because we often think of John the Baptist in the Bible. If you're a Christian, you've read your Bible before, you will think, oh, John the Baptist, he's, he's like, he is the, the radical, no-nonsense, faith Hero, and then you read this and you go, Interesting, interesting. Why is he now doubting what's going on? John, just like the other Jews at the time, he was expecting the Messiah, he was expecting Jesus to be a liberator, he was expecting him to come as a soldier, as a king. He was expecting him to come with a sword. He was expecting him to completely destroy the Roman Empire at that time. He was thinking that he was going to come and bring liberation by freeing that country. He was, do you know what? He was expecting war. 
and John was well up for the war. That's what he was expecting. He was expecting war. However, this is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not doing what John wants him to do. He's not doing what John expects him to do. He's not doing what, what John or even the whole of Israel are expecting him to do. Maybe, um, and, in, and, uh, and it's uh, in John at this point, right? He's about to be executed. He's about to have his head chopped off. Like, is he having last-minute jitters? When I, when I baptized you, Jesus, was I wrong? Was I wrong in doing that? And maybe, maybe he was having the jitters, but it seems more likely that his expectation of God uh, and God's purposes does not line up to what he wants. It doesn't line up to what he thinks, what he expects. And, and really, it's based on his experience. He's, he's in prison, and so he's like, Really? Is, is this what you had planned for me? Are you sure? And it's often Jesus is not what we expect him to be because our expectation and our experiences conflict or they collide or they, they clash with each other. Right? Both John's present situation and his experience of peaceful, humble, gentle, liberator Jesus, right, that conflicts with what he desires. It conflicts with his expectation of the Messiah through means of a powerful force. And the truth is, we so often question God because we place our expectations on God. But our experience conflicts that expectation we have of God. We, we, what, what are the moments when your experience of life, life experience that you have gone through or are going through, conflicts with your expectations. There will be people in this room who can relate to, to John's hard situation. You're not about to be beheaded, but you are in a situation where you, it's just not what you expected it to be. Your experience is not what you expected it to be. Think health. There, there, might be, there can be a young mum of three children, her husband is diagnosed with cancer, and she's just pleading with God to try and, I just can't understand this. Experience of illness conflicts with her expectation that God's going to give her a long life. Just, it's true. And it's hard. It's hard. So how do we balance that? Even promotions, think about the person, they've been given responsibility at work, and then oh, we're going to give that job to somebody else. It gets taken from them. The expectation of promotion conflicts with the experience of losing position that they once had. Even in a church setting, it relates to church easily. Think there's many stories I come across where, where couples or individuals have, have served a local church for years and then they are seriously let down by leadership, seriously let down by what they thought was family. It's conflicting experience. Where, where they, their expectation of church, church is family, church is we, we are in this together, we're all joined around Jesus, and then they experience the betrayal. If we went around this room, it would not be hard to find examples where experience does not line up with expectation. It, it won't, be, won't be hard to do that. And the challenge is, what do I do with it? Yeah, what, what, what do I do when I experience this and that's my expectation? How do I, how do I balance that? Well, let's look at what Jesus says. This is his reply to, 
to John, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. This is what, okay, hear the compassion, hear the kindness that Jesus says here. Hear the compassion of, of God. This is what they hear and see. They hear and see that the blind have received sight. They've seen and heard that the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised and good news is proclaimed to the poor. In verse 6 to 15, he then backs up his answer with lots of Old Testament references when he's, when he's really bigging up John a bit in a, in a minute. Jesus' reply forces John and forces us to look at the facts. Look at the facts rather than his expectation, rather than his experience. How much do we look at our expectation? How much do we look at our experiences? How much do we look at our feelings and our emotions and, and, that, and all of that rather than truth? When expectation and experience, when they conflict and they collide and they come together and it's hard, Jesus calls you to hear and see. Come to me, all who are burdened. He calls us to come and see him, see what he is like. Do you know what? Jesus acknowledges there can be questioning. Right? In our culture, cancel culture would have said, no, John, you're cancelled. No way. No chance. Now, Jesus doesn't cancel him. Jesus is advocating him. Jesus is saying, this guy's the best prophet you have ever heard. Listen to him. He's saying that in verses um, 15, uh, verses 6 to 15. He's, he's bigging him up. He's not cancelled him because he's questioned. Questioning is, is absolutely fine. But Jesus wants to guide him past the questioning. We can, we can sit and we can stay where John is and we can, we can question things. We can, why, 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 why? No, no, no. God wants to take us past that. He wants to take you past the conflict that you have between your expectation and your experiences and take you towards where? He wants you to take you towards his word. The place where you can find truth in all of that, all of that mess, all of that stuff that you're dealing with. Even though Christians fail us, even though promotions are snatched from us, even though illness perplexes us, even though experience of life exposes our expectation, where can we always go for truth? Where can I constantly see? Where can I constantly hear that God is who he says he is? I can see it in his word. I see it throughout his word. That's why at Grace Church, we are not going to stop preaching the word on a Sunday morning. That's why we encourage people to get into a grace group and grow in the word together. That's why I would encourage everybody in this church to find time where you can in your day to study God's word, to read it, to let it, let it come and just grow you and build you up. If you are struggling to believe Jesus is who he says he is, if expectation and experience are conflicting, when was the last time that you Colossians 3 13 Colossians 3.13 talks of us resting in God's word. Let the, the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It can't dwell in you if you're going, I just read it, yep, cool, oh, off I go. No, 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 let it dwell. Let it stir you. Let it well up inside you. Colossians 3.16 yourself. Dwell in the word. If you are struggling, go to his word, enjoy it. Jesus is not who we expect him to be when our expectations and our experiences conflict, it doesn't mean that he is not who he says he is. 
But also, Jesus is not who we expect him to be because humbling myself is really hard. Humility is so hard. You, in verse 16, I don't know if you caught this, it just it made me chuckle. Um, verse 16 to 18, to what can I compare this generation? Doesn't it just bring to mind Shakespeare? To what can I compare thee to a summer's day? Like a love sonnet of, of Shakespeare. No, no, he's not doing that. He's not going down that road. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to each other. We played the pipe and you didn't dance for us. We sang the dirge and you didn't mourn. Like they're just moany children. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, he is a glutton. Like, he can't, he can't win. Verse 18, yeah, John was too religious. Jesus wasn't religious enough. John didn't eat enough. Jesus ate too much. Like, what, what do you want? Like, your expect, our expectations are, are warped so often because we can't humble ourselves to go, oh, actually, maybe, maybe God's right. Maybe God knows. That is why Jesus compares the crowd to, to stubborn children. You can't play my game. I'm going to go, I'm not my friend anymore. Like, that's, that's, that's what's happening. The truth of the matter is, you and I are so similar to that crowd. All right? We are so, so similar to who Jesus is speaking to. We expect Jesus to dance to our tune. It's true. I do it. You do it. We all do it. We want Jesus to fulfill every dream I have. And if he doesn't, then I'm not okay with that. We want God to meet our expectations. And this is often why experience and um, expectations clash. You and I are not as humble as we think we are. And this theme of humility, you see it all the way through Matthew 11. If you go to Matthew 12, he's, he's still continuing that. He's still talking about it in Matthew 12. Humility is a necessity to being a Christian. Humility is not like whipped cream on hot chocolate. Do you want whipped cream? Do you, do you want humility? No, it's, not, it's not an optional extra like whipped cream on hot chocolate. It's not. Humility is a necessity to Christian walking. Jesus is not who we expect him to be because we often struggle to soften our hearts. We often struggle to humble ourselves. If you are not sure Jesus is uh, saying this, go to, go to verse 20 to 24. I'm just going to say a, a shortened version of it. In, version, uh, in verse 20 to 24. And then he began to denounce. It's a fun word, isn't it? You, you wouldn't, oh, timid, lovely pathetic, cutesy Jesus. No, 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 he's not. He talks firm when he needs to. It's truth and love that he's, he's talking in. Yeah, Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of the miracles had been performed. So this is people that, who have seen and heard. Yeah, he's talking to those towns. Why? Because they did not repent. And you, Capernaum, Jesus' hometown, I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the Day of Judgment than for you. Sodom was horrendous. Right? Sodom was, was the epitome in, in the Bible of an evil town. You, you couldn't get more evil. The town, right? this is the level, they planned to gang rape a, the messengers that Jesus sent. 
That, that's, what they, that's what they plan to do. This is a horrible, horrible place. And then you've got Capernaum and the other um, religious towns which are mentioned in 20 to 24. They're famous because of the religious elite. This is, this is oh, they're the goodies. They're the real goodies of the story. And yet the religious elite are less bearable than, the, uh, than, than Sodom. How's that possible? Why, why, why is that? Well, let's be clear. Sodom is not escaping judgment. Just, just, let, let, just look back. Yeah? It, they might be more bearable on the day of judgment. They're still receiving judgment. Yeah? Um, and, and God doesn't leave unrepentant sin. He doesn't leave evil not dealt with. God deals with evil. He is a good judge. But Jesus' focus is not on those who don't know him. Is that you this morning? Do you not know who Jesus is? This is he's not talking to them, but those who have met him, those who know him, those who come to church on a Sunday and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm a Christian. You could have the title Christian, but if your heart is not soft to God's challenge, if your heart is not soft to what God wants to do, if your heart is not soft to who he is and his plan to love and care for those around us, if your heart is not soft to that, it's more damaging than we dare imagine. Dale Bruner, who, who writes a commentary, a brilliant commentary on Matthew, says this, the sum of the matter is this, Christians should soften their hearts to take Jesus seriously. When they do... They escape judgment. When they don't, they invite it. Humility is not an optional extra. God wants soft hearts. God wants hearts soft enough to to say, yeah, I I, want to receive Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. He wants hearts that are soft enough to receive the challenge that, that other Christ followers may bring to them. Yeah, God wants hearts soft enough to dance to God's tune and not their own. Where is God pressing you this morning to humble yourself? Preparing for this, God put stuff on my own heart. Right? It, he, there will be stuff in all of us where God is pressing us to humble, him, to humble ourselves. I'll give you a clue, it's most likely the thing that winds you up the most. Most likely be. But the bit that you don't want God to talk into probably is a good indicator there. It might be areas of sin that you're just like, I'm just going to keep that private. I don't want anyone to know about that. It might be areas of challenge of your, of your character, of your demeanor, of, your, of who, who, you, who you behave as, which you just hate people talking into. You hate people challenging you in it. An area where you just are like, I'm not going to forgive them. Why would, I, why would I forgive them? An area of unforgiveness that you have not dealt with and you just don't want to deal with. We're going to take communion in a bit. What a great opportunity that we have there to humble ourselves. An opportunity to come to the table and say, God, I'm sorry, God, take it. Humble me. So far, Jesus has been fairly straight talking to the crowd um, all the way through. And in, and in verse 28, he ex- unexpectedly shows why it is worth changing our expectation. He shows why it's worth changing our expectation to trust him, changing our expectation to trust his word and humbling ourselves to God. It says this in verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have seen Jesus is not who we expect him to be because expectation and experiences collide and they clash and they conflict. We've seen that he's not who uh, we expect him to be because we can find it hard to humble ourselves towards him. But, we have also, but also, Jesus is not who we expect him to be because his offer of rest is unexpected. His offer of rest is unexpected. That word yoke, this is, shows my dyslexia here. When I was growing up, I always thought that was an egg, just so you know. Egg is with an L, Y-O-L-K. This is, yes, yeah, different. It's not an egg. There you go. It's not, there you go. There you go. So they're spelled, not only are they spelled differently, they're totally different things, all right? Uh, give you a clue. It's not an egg. Can I, is it, honesty moment, show of hands. Did anyone else think it was an egg? Good. Yes, get in. Yes, it's not just me. Wonderful. Anyway. If you're wondering, what is a yoke? What is a yoke? It's that. That's what a yoke is. There you go. All right? And uh, a yoke, it's used to hold two cows together to do some plowing. That's what it's used for. Very different. I've completely lost the room, haven't I? Um, everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, or they're either going, he's, he's, he's thicker than he looks. Um, or, yeah, let's move on, shall we? A yoke. That, there, that, that is a yoke. It's used to hold two cows together when they're plowing. All right? It's, that is super heavy. Yeah? That's really quite a heavy thing. And it's used um, where, where if one cow pulls one way, then, then no plowing gets done. Right, they need to walk in tandem together, going on together uh, in parallel. Otherwise, they go off, and it keeps it straight, and, and all of those things. And even in the Bible, this, this, this word yoke is used elsewhere. Look in Leviticus. It's a great, um, enjoyable read there um, to, to get to read. No, to, uh, that was a genuine. That wasn't sarcasm. Um, like, uh, so, but, but, but dig down, and you can see it, it's used to describe the law the, 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 and how... How take my yoke upon you is used as, as an oppressive language. Yoke is oppressive. Yoke is, 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 I've got to keep the rules. I've got to follow the rules. I've got to keep up appearances. Take my yoke upon you. That does not look very restful to me. Take my yoke upon you and I will give you rest. That, you tell, those cows don't look very happy. I'm pretty sure if I was wearing it, I would not be very happy. Well, that's the point. Right? That is the point. We often put the wrong yoke on. We put on the, a, a different easy yoke. For the Jews in the crowd that he was talking to, it was about being religious. It was about, I've got to follow the rules. If I don't do that, God's not going to love me. Or God is going to love me because look at how holy I am. And so there are so many, however, easy yokes in our society. So many, Jesus calls it, a, a, my yoke is easy. And we go, oh, okay. Well, well, what's easy in our society? Well, we put easy yokes. We put them across our shoulders, just like them. And, 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 and in, the, in the hope that what they might do is dull the pain of life. 
that they bring us just a bit of comfort, just a little bit of rest. If I just put this easy yoke on, an easy yoke would be those binge-watching moments that we have in front of Netflix, in front of Amazon Prime, in front of, in front of Apple TV, in front of uh, Disney Plus. And that's just to name a few. There's loads in there. YouTube, countless videos on there, right? We can just binge watch and binge watch and oh, just, oh, I'm finding some rest here. This is nice, nice easy yoke that I, that I put on. All those, all those holidays, those holidays I might not even be able to afford, but I just need to get away. I need to get away from reality. And I get back and I go, I need to get away from reality. I just need to put that yoke back on. Keep the easy yokes on my shoulders. The use of porn, the use of alcohol, just to dull life's pains. And I've just, got, I've just got those easy yokes on. However, in reality, as we start to wear the yoke, we start to go, oh, this isn't, this isn't as comfortable as I thought it was. This is, oh, it's starting to, oh, it's starting to itch here. Oh, there's a bit of, bit of rubbing, a bit of rubbing there. And it just gets uncomfortable because what we see is it does the opposite. Those easy yokes of the world that we put on our shoulders are, are easy to start with, but they are fleeting. That's why when I finish a binge watch, I just want to watch something else. That's why when I go on holiday, I just think, I come back and I go, I need another one. That's why one drink leads to another. It's fleeting. Leaves us empty in the end, and it's just rubbing, rubbing, and rubbing on our shoulders, because what we're doing is we're not joined where we're supporting, we're being supported, but we're pulling. We're pulling. No, I want to go in this way. This, this yoke is better. This way is easier. This is why Jesus is not who we expect him to be. To know true rest from the weariness of keeping up appearances, the weariness of being a good Christian. We need to put the easy yoke, not as in easy that, oh, this is simple and it is simple put it on, but, but not as in the sense of this world's view of easy, that, oh, just nice, nice quick relief. This is, this is a long-lasting easiness in, in Jesus. We need to put the easy yoke of Christ on and let him lead us. We need to let him lead us. True rest can only be realized when we become disciples of Jesus, when we do ministry with him, when we strap on to Jesus. We are strapped next to him, onto Jesus' easy yoke, and we see him. We, we, we're not depressed like these cows, right? We turn and we look to Jesus, and what is it? He's smiling at us. He's, he's, he's saying, we, we're going to do this. This is all right. We got, we got this. I'm going to carry you. I'm going to carry most of the weight here. you just got to walk alongside me. We strap ourselves when we walk humbly beside him, when we try not to pull the plow so that it goes in a different direction, when we take God at his word. However unexpected Jesus may be, if Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is who he says he is, then that changes absolutely everything, and it makes this verse even more stunning, even more beautiful, even more refreshing to our soul than we even realized. A commentator again said this better than I could. Who in their right mind would go back to the gods of self, money, lust, and power? Who would return on bended knee to shrines of performance and judgmentalism? 
Is not love better than hate? Is not purity better than lust? Is not reconciliation better than retaliation? And is it not better to rest our souls than our selfish pride? Do you need to humble yourself to Jesus' unexpected rest this morning? Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary. Are you weary? Are you burdened this morning? I will give you rest. I will, I will take everything off of you and, and strap you to me. We'll walk this together. It's not easy. There's pain ahead. There's, there's muddy bits in the ground. There's divots on the way. But we've got this because one day we're going to be together in glory with him. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is not who we expect him to be, but we can come to him with our questions, and we can find rest when unexpected situations of life come. Jesus is not who we expect him to be, but we can soften our hearts because that is the path to true rest for ourselves. We can, uh, Jesus is not who we expect him to be, but we can often... Uh, but we can soften our hearts because he is the example of the softest, gentlest heart. Jesus is not who we expect him to be, but he is who we need him to be.